Do you know the history of work, why we work, or the meaning of what it is that we do? Today we are discussing all of that and more. Advantage has teamed up with SoCal Youth Rugby to provide athletic trainers at all matches from Orange County to San Luis Obispo. If you are in Orange County, Los Angeles County, San Bernardino, Santa Barbara, or San Luis Obispo areas and looking for contract work on the weekends, visit our website, theadvantage.com, for more info and to apply. Hello, and thank you for joining us on The Business Advantage. I am Alicia M. Pennington, your host and owner of Advantage Athletic Training. Today, we're going to be talking about the meaning of work. But before we do, we have a new segment on the podcast where we encourage our listeners to share what they are doing on a daily basis, and we will reply, retweet, or promote the post if hashtag that's business. We want to show you how so much of what we do on an everyday basis has business intertwined with it. So let's talk about the meaning of work. This is a topic that isn't as strictly business related as a lot of the other stuff that we've discussed, but I was listening to one of my podcasts. It's called TED Radio Hour, which is basically... Uh, TED Talks, and if you're not familiar with TED Talks, TED stands for Technology, Entertainment, and Design. Um, And what TED Talks are is they're usually 16 to 18 minute uh, lectures or discussions typically done on a stage at a specific location where TED has set up uh, sort of a, a seminar type platform. And people from various uh, different avenues and backgrounds come and give talks on really interesting and intriguing ideas. So the podcast, TED Radio Hour, what they do is take various TED Talks that have been done and they revisit what was discussed. So the one that I was listening to, the topic was the meaning of work, and they had three different TED Talks that uh, they kind of mashed up and put into their 60-minute segment. One of the areas that really jumped out to me was um, a gentleman named Barry Schwartz, and he was kind of talking about the history of of working, which I'll get into and kind of describe to you a little bit of what he talked about, um, and kind of how we've found ourselves where we're at now with working and trying to find our passion and all of that kind of stuff. So when I was listening to this, I kind of felt like the message behind this episode was regardless of what we choose to do for work, it's important to understand why you do it and what takes you to work every day. In athletic training, I think that we typically have higher rates of passion for what we do than you may find in other professions. And for this reason, I think that we find it easy to go to work every day because we have an overall happier disposition despite sometimes working longer or more awkward hours than maybe other professionals. 
However, with the low levels of retention that we have in athletic training, especially the deeper that you get into the profession, I thought that it was important to discuss finding the true meaning of work and what that means for you. Let me start off by talking about what I heard when I listened to this TED Talk. Like I said, the gentleman's name was Barry Schwartz, and he started by speaking about where our history in work is rooted at, which is actually farming. In a much simpler time, uh, our ancestors utilized their own land and collectively contributed to the greater community and neighborhood that they lived within, both receiving and giving to others. Think back to kind of like the barter system uh, type of idea. So this contribution that each individual made was to and for a greater good, thus creating a lot of joy in their day-to-day tasks. It wasn't as grueling and um, arduous to go into their farm and, and wake up at uh, you know sunlight each day and to uh, take care of the fields and the farm and um, the animals and everything because they had a deeper connection to the community that they were living in and that they were able to contribute to. So this actually changed with America's industrialization age. Instead of tending to our own land and giving to our neighbors, we were forced into a factory, arriving and leaving at work on someone else's schedule. And of course, us women were recruited to go to work in the industrial age to quote unquote, support our men at war. But when we all went to work for someone else, we lost that meaning of work that used to motivate us. And this is why the idea of finding our passion all got started. Basically, ever since we were taken out of what it was that kept us connected and invigorated to do the everyday tasks, we've been trying to get back to that. I was inspired by this because I see it all around me. Colleagues, parents, friends, all seem to be looking for and seeking that satisfaction that our ancestors used to enjoy. So I felt inspired to share this on our podcast because I think that if only it influences one person to find their joy in what they do every single day, then perhaps it will have a pay it forward type of effect with those around them. And we can eventually find ourselves in a culture where instead of seeking high monetary professions or those careers that our parents want us to be in for the recognition, maybe we will start to seek out those areas that just make us happy. Let's start by defining what the word work means, which is exertion or effort directed to produce or accomplish something. 
employment as in some form of industry, especially as a means of earning one's livelihood. It's interesting that in the very definition of work, the word industry is used. It makes me wonder if that definition has changed since the Industrial Revolution in the late 1700s, early 1800s. Maybe before that, they defined work more of what the first part of it said, exertion or effort directed to produce or accomplish something, not necessarily in an industry, but just in general. Also in that definition, exertion or effort, it just makes me think of something laborious. Whereas when I think about being passionate, I don't think that it's necessarily thought of laborious. And even if at times it may be, you know, there's the quote of love what you do and you'll never go to work. Maybe that's kind of where this idea comes from is that the the de- the very definition of work doesn't actually even define what it is that we feel when we are that active contributor or we are getting that satisfaction of what it is that we want to do. I wanted to look at levels of satisfaction in athletic training to see if I could get an idea of how much we appreciate the work that we do. I found one study that was conducted in 2008 and published in the Sport Journal that investigated level of job satisfaction in NCAA Division I positions. I know that that candidate pool is not necessarily an accurate representation of all of us athletic trainers, but I really liked this study and what they found and the results that they provided. So I'm hoping to use this as just a glimpse of perhaps what majority of our congregation is feeling. The study revealed that program directors and athletic training faculty members were the most satisfied with their positions, whereas graduate assistants were the least satisfied. Also, male athletic trainers and athletic trainers who were older and more experienced in the profession had significantly greater levels of satisfaction. Now, on the surface, I would say that program directors and athletic training faculty members have higher job satisfaction because of the pay and their job security. But I think that if you dive a little bit deeper, perhaps it's because they are influencing the next generation. They are having a larger impact on the profession. Now, if you continue down this same train of thought, so too would it make sense that GAs have a lesser degree of satisfaction because they're kind of like doing the grunt work and aren't necessarily having an impact on the profession in the way that those who hold higher positions are. 
I also think that you could make the argument, perhaps these program directors and athletic training faculty members have found their meaning and purpose in work, whereas the GAs are still trying to discover it and figure out, is athletic training for me? Is this type of um, situation or environment, you know, the NCAA Division I level, is this for me? It's easy to assume that if somebody has been in this career longer or they've reached the level of program director or an athletic training faculty member, that they have found what it is that works for them. Now, this isn't necessarily the case for everybody. There is um, definitely the opportunity that uh, a GA knows for a fact that this is what they want to do and where they want to be. It's just not the best situation for them. Whereas a program director or a faculty member, maybe they've just been able to climb up the ladder more easily than someone else. And they're kind of just in this role because that's what's been given to them. I also found it interesting what the study suggested as to why males experience higher levels of job satisfaction, which was their ability to advance in the profession is higher. This is, I'm not really sure what what to do with this. Um, It's obvious that females in athletic training are more prevalent, however, We don't have the ability, or not yet, or haven't previously had the ability to permeate the upper levels as much. And by upper levels, I'm referring more to professional sports or even high division one, not necessarily those faculty or um, program director positions. So this is an interesting thought to me that more on the clinical as opposed to the didactic side of things, if women don't feel like they are able to move up either as quickly or as high as a male counterpart, that perhaps they wouldn't experience as enjoyable of levels of job satisfaction. I'd be interested to hear all of your guys' feedback on that, whether you're male or female, whether you feel like that influences you, um, maybe even subconsciously of whether you would stay in the profession long term or if you think that at some point you would have to get out of it because you aren't able to permeate those higher levels. So, um, you know, leave us some feedback in our social media comments or uh, give us an idea of kind of where you're feeling and, and what your thoughts are on that. The study provided the athletic trainers various variables to rank in order of what they felt was um, most applicable to their level of job satisfaction to least applicable to their level of job satisfaction. And so the study displayed them in descending order and the top three variables were number one, social service, number two, moral values, and number three, achievement. Unfortunately, the study did not define what those variables mean, but 
I think this idea, especially social service, moral values, and probably even achievement ties back into what we were just talking about with perhaps the more impact you feel that you are having on people that you are influencing, the higher level of job satisfaction that you're going to have. So understandably so, so probably someone that's a program director would feel that social service and achievement is something that they would experience on a day-to-day basis where maybe a graduate assistant wouldn't. And Contrarily, the bottom three variables for what led to job satisfaction, or probably more well stated, what led to job dissatisfaction, were compensation, advancement, company policies and procedures, and working conditions. So again, thinking back to what a graduate assistant experiences in terms of compensation, working conditions, advancement, they're going to have much more of those, giving them less level of job satisfaction, whereas somebody at the top, program directors and faculty members, are definitely experiencing higher compensation, probably better working conditions, depending on what you feel is the best uh, suited for you. Advancement, clearly they've accomplished uh, because of where they're sitting on the totem pole. And companies, policies, and procedures, that's sort of a tough one because it's very much outside of your control, but maybe those who are at the bottom, the graduate assistants, feel more like they are victims to these policies and procedures, whereas faculty members or program directors uh, perhaps have control uh, over the creation of those so they don't feel as victimized by those statutes that are in place. So generally speaking, what this study identified uh, in a way is a little bit obvious or maybe common sense, but I do think that in relation to our meaning of work and why we do what we do, perhaps if those who are at the bottom, you know, the graduate assistants, the people that are kind of left with the grunt work, if they were able to tap into areas such as social service or moral values or achievement, and they were able to kind of live in those spaces a little bit more on their day-to-day basis, that they would experience a higher level of job satisfaction within whatever position that that they have, even if it is sort of, you know, bottom of the totem pole, um, you know, thinking about uh, a rehabilitation, like a long-term, let's say in, in ACL rehabilitation, if that graduate assistant was given the responsibility of rehabbing and overseeing the long-term progression of an athlete, perhaps they would have that sense of achievement that may have otherwise been gifted to a more senior athletic trainer who can feel those other areas like compensation or advancement 
And so we can try to find ways to spread the wealth, if you will, um, knowing that maybe the working conditions of someone that's a little bit higher is there. Maybe we can give that achievement to someone who's a little bit lower that doesn't have as uh, cush as working conditions. I don't know. I mean, just something to think about in your own setting or in uh, maybe somebody that you mentor or uh, colleagues that you're seeing who either are experiencing high levels of job satisfaction and kind of tapping into what it is that they're experiencing that's giving them such satisfaction or contrary, maybe someone that's struggling with their position and seeing are there areas that a coworker could assist them in experiencing a higher level by sharing something maybe that they're experiencing? Maybe it's maybe it's an office space. It, it could be that simple that one coworker has a, a designated desk in an office space where the other one doesn't. And it, it could be that simple. I, I don't know. But um, I think that this study kinds of kind of brings us to the forefront of those things that we can easily identify and objectify about what it is that keeps us coming back to work every day and being happy with what it is that we're doing. I do think that as athletic trainers and as an athletic training profession, we are doing something right. According to the Department of Labor, we have a projected growth of 21% over the next 10 years. Other healthcare fields and technical practitioners are expected to grow at a rate of about 10%, and the national average for all occupational growth is about 7%. So we are clearly going to see an increase in athletic training jobs and students coming into the profession, but what is it that we want to display to them about the meaning of work and why we are all so proud to call ourselves athletic trainers? Personally, I can't help but wonder if the introduction of the ELM, entry-level masters, will impact this job growth number. I know, um, you know, one of the 11 statements made in the ELM white paper alluded to retention in athletic training. The point was argued that if the minimum education level was increased, that there would be a higher retention rate deeper into one's athletic training career. I'm assuming that the line of thought on this was that someone who pursued an advanced degree in an area would be certain that it was something that they wanted to do forever. Um, And if that's the line of thinking, can it also maybe be assumed that those who pursue advanced levels of degrees for entry-level work have discovered the meaning of work for themselves? It's an interesting thought because I see a lot of athletic trainers pursue either advanced degrees or certifications in specific areas once they've been practicing for a while. So does that mean that they too are finding their meaning of work? Or is it all just in an attempt to chase the next big thing because they have yet to find their meaning of work. 
Unfortunately, it's one of those things where you can't just make a decision or an assumption based on someone's actions. You actually have to talk to them and find out what it is that they are pursuing and why they are pursuing it. My hopes are that it isn't just to stay competitive or it isn't just to have more letters and abbreviations at the end of your name. My hope would be that you're getting your FMS or CSCS because that is something you are passionate about. You are passionate about having every athlete go through a functional movement screen because you believe in the preventative efforts of doing so, not because your employer's asking you to do it, you think it'll look good on a resume, you heard someone else do it, it'll get you CEUs, any of those superficial reasons. You know, we don't yet make the type of money that lawyers or doctors do, nor do we hold the prestige. So I'm doubtful that we will start to see parents urging their kids into athletic training, as you typically see with fields like engineering or other advanced medicine. As well, with 2.9 million nurses, 900,000 physicians, and 210,000 physical therapists in the U.S., athletic training has a long way to go before we attempt to gain the stature that some of the more well-known professions have. But that is why I think finding a young person who wants to go into athletic training is so special. They usually have a why behind their statement. They're not doing it because it's cool or the popular thing or their parents want them to go into it. Usually they have a personal story that is taking them into athletic training and I don't know how many professions have that. Personally, when I interview other athletic trainers or I'm sitting on panels that are interviewing athletic training students for an ATEP program, almost every single one of those candidates has a personal why. I don't know if that exists in accounting or plumbing or marketing, but I guarantee you almost every single athletic trainer that you talk to and you ask, how did you get into athletic training or where did you find it at? Or, you know, kind of what is your why? They have a story that goes along with it. And I just kind of feel like our profession is unique and special in that way. And parts of me don't want to hit mass market status because we may get away from that. We may start to see people that are just doing it for the money or are just doing it for the status or to be on the sidelines of an NFL game or something along those lines, which is so shallow and takes away so much of who we are as athletic trainers. Maybe we don't get paid the best, and maybe we don't get the recognition that we deserve, but man, are we a cool bunch of kids. It's rare that I meet another athletic trainer that doesn't have the passion that I do. 
that I can't swap stories with and and laugh together and understand that even if they're in a totally different setting or a totally different geographical area or totally different environment than me, we kind of have this one unique characteristic that bands us together, and that is our profession. Perhaps we are too focused on the retention rate in athletic training, and instead we should shift our focus to level of satisfaction amongst the congregation. What good does retention do if those professionals are spiteful about what they're doing at work every day? A popular quote says, one person with passion is better than 40 people merely interested. And you know why? Because they don't feel like they're working. It's not going to feel laborious. It's not going to feel arduous. They're going to feel like they're giving back to their greater community, the same area that we came from originally. Those people who are just interested, who haven't identified their meaning of work, It's going to be difficult to get them to buy in and to do the things that aren't going to be as fun, which happens a lot in athletic training. But if we can focus on increasing the level of satisfaction for our athletic trainers, I think that the retention rates will take care of themselves. And, you know, if according to the study, we are most pleased with social service, moral values, and achievement, what more can we do as a profession to promote those areas in an effort to increase our retention or the joy that we feel on an everyday basis? I think that More of what we are currently seeing, such as the autonomy statement from the major NCAA conferences, protecting and separating the medical staff from the coaching staff, is what will bring increased happiness in our work. The more that we can operate without being questioned from outside sources, I think the more valuable that we will feel. And despite what our compensation may suggest, if we are able to make medical decisions without having to face pressures from our coaches, I believe that we will find far greater meaning in the work that we are doing. Smart tools are the next generation of IASTM tools on the market today and a leading manual therapy education company. Their medical-grade stainless steel tools are of superior craftsmanship compared to competitors, but at a much more affordable price. When they started this company, they wanted to make the previously unaffordable affordable, and they've done just that. Visit them at smarttoolsplus.com. Any attempt to increase the safety or awareness of injury and sport will benefit us as a profession. The increases in youth sports safety, organizations such as USA Rugby making a sideline medic required, or the proposed legislation in Maryland where coaches would be suspended for playing a kid with a concussion or concussive-like symptoms will all go in a long way of helping athletic trainers feel more valued and thereby increasing our feelings of social service and achievement. 
But I don't necessarily think that we can rely on what others are going to do to make us feel better about the work that we are doing. You know, have you ever thought about why you work? I don't take athletic trainers as the type that do it for the paycheck. And most of us would probably say that it's for the athletes, but dig a little bit deeper and discover what's the why behind that. Is it the feeling of gratification you get when seeing an athlete return to play? Is it feeling like you are part of a team and have a family at work? Or is it knowing that each day when your patients attempt their activity, you know that they are doing it in the safest environment possible because you are there? Whatever your why is, remember it. Hold on to it. And whenever you're having a bad day or feel like you're losing yourself in your career, go back to your why. I want to share with you my story and how I found my why and what my meaning of work is. So when I finished grad school, I was looking for contract work that I could pick up while I was looking for a full-time job. I was looking everywhere and basically what I discovered was that unless you were on each local university's list serve, there was no real way to access the work that was available on weekends or for subbing or just general contract work. So I put up a website, um, basically a Craigslist kind of idea, and tried to recruit um, all of my athletic training friends so that they would send me the work that had come across their list serves, or also if they were interested in working, that they would go to this website to look for it. And so in doing that, I felt like I was fixing a problem. I had a need that needed to be met, and so I met that for myself. But in the eagerness of all of the athletic trainers wanting to work, there was a little bit of undercutting that was happening. And so we had to privatize the website and kind of make ourselves the middleman. As well, we took this as an opportunity to educate clients about proper compensation and proper work conditions for an athletic trainer. And so my why started to grow. It started to snowball before it was a little bit self-interested and selfish because I wanted that work and the few people around me that I cared about were looking for work. But now I saw an opportunity to make my general geographic region better. And by educating clients about what our needs were as athletic trainers, including being paid appropriately and working in conditions that were acceptable I also was providing more athletic trainers in the area with opportunities. And so despite sitting behind a computer most days and not even actually being able to practice athletic training on a daily basis anymore, I know that my work and my meaning of what I am doing is serving a greater cause. 
both for those athletic trainers around me, for the profession of athletic training, and in the community that we work in of Southern California. Clients are becoming more and more educated about who an athletic trainer is and what they do and why they should have one and how they need to properly compensate and adjust for having those athletic trainers there. Because I am an athletic trainer, I do also feel the need to fill that meaning of work in athletic training for myself. So I do volunteer with USA Athletics, and I also work as an athletic trainer on the television show, The Biggest Loser. And both of those opportunities provide me the experience and the fulfillment that I need as the athletic trainer, as the person who practices sports medicine, not as the business owner, but the person who likes to work with her hands and likes to evaluate injuries and construct the rehabilitations and can enjoy that journey with those athletes to whatever it is that they're trying to accomplish, be it the Olympics or weight loss. As a result of the decisions that I have made, I feel joy in what I do every single day. And yeah, there are hard days. There's times when I get the door slammed on me or we aren't able to successfully place an athletic trainer, but that does not take away from my why. It does not take away all that has already been accomplished and all that will continue to be accomplished despite what one person may think. And That's what you have to take away from all of this. What you do every day, especially in relation to work, is for you. Be selfish and do what makes you happy. Everything that you touch and everybody that you interact with will be better because they've experienced your joy. Thank you for listening today. If you are liking what you're hearing in our podcasts, please subscribe to us on iTunes and share with other athletic trainers or leave comments on our social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Advantage. If you have questions regarding what we've spoken about here, use the hashtag Q and AT. And don't forget to share your everyday happenings with us so that we can show hashtag That's Business. Thank you to Mr. Logistics, who has created the sound you've heard throughout the podcast. On episode 10, we will have guest Kelly Hudson, who is my co-worker on The Biggest Loser and also works for Universal Studios, providing care to the men and women in their stunt shows. She will be discussing how to propose for a new position and using workers' compensation to prove your value.